Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lost Teams podcast. I am your co-host Anthony Cherdelli. With me, as always, here again today is Andrew Lennox. Andrew, how you doing? I'm well, Anthony. How you doing? Ah, uh, doing okay. This this like we were talking about before, the marine layer here in coastal Southern California is kind of killing my mood. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's been cloudy for quite a few days now. It's getting it, kind of old. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's not I, why I live here. <laughs> no, exactly. That's not why I moved here, Southern California. Clean it up. Right. Uh, that's why they call it June gloom. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, I think uh, things are good besides that. I'm excited for the episode we have today. I've got a, uh, I think, a very interesting team that I'll get to in a second. But before we start, uh, I want to tease kind of the general point of this episode. So what if I told you that a flagship NBA team that is credited with having a whole bunch of NBA titles, I won't give away how many at this point because it would give it away, uh, by technicality should only have a few and that its other championships should belong to another NBA team that has traditionally kind of been a laughing stock of the NBA until like the last decade or so. What what would you say to that? I would not be shocked, I guess. Really? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I went a, the complete opposite way of what you were thinking. Oh, yeah. It was kind of a confusing <laughs> way to phrase it, too. All right. How about this? Uh, since I tried the Tarantino thing, it didn't really work. Um, yeah. Let me ask you another question. Sure. When it, when a team moves from one city to another, uh, the history goes with it. And you're, you're from Colorado, kind of an Avs fan, right? Yep, I am. So do you consider the Avs history, the Quebec, the Quebec Nordiques history, part of the Avs history? So like, there, are they, that, that's part of the franchise history, right? Well, I, yeah, I believe so. It, it's hard, though, because I've seen, I saw that move. I've been on both ends of moves, so... Like I'm from Winnipeg originally, so I saw the Jets move to Arizona, and I was like, "No, the Jets' history should not be part of the the Coyotes' um, history." But but then I've been on the opposite end, and it's like it's kind of cool to honor the Nordiques. Yeah, but as a as fan, a, yeah, so yeah, but the the Avalanche, their throwback uniforms are Nordiques uniforms, right? So they kind of have that history going for them, uh, yeah. and and. Versus so the other I, way, the Winnipeg Jets, new Winnipeg Jets don't have the uh, the um, co- the Phoenix or Arizona Coyotes jerseys as their throwbacks. It's a new, right. it would be the Atlanta Thrashers, theoretically, right? Right, right. Okay, and it's the same reason why the LA Lakers are credited with all the titles and they have that, that the Minnesota Lakers won way back in the 50s. And, sure. And same thing with the, with the Supersonics. So like the uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, came from the Seattle Supersonics. And so those are kind of two, when you look them up on Wikipedia, like Oklahoma City Thunder is credited, their franchise is credited with one NBA championship, and it's one that the Supersonics won back in, the, I think it was 79 or something. Right. So that, that kind of tracks, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. All right, well, that's, that's where I'm going to leave this tease and uh, pick it up at the end of the episode. And, and we're going to start talking about the Kentucky Colonels of the ABA, ABA the American Basketball Association. Um, and this does tie in at the end, you'll find out. So uh, let's get into the Kentucky Colonel. Sorry about that weird beginning. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I mean, it is. Go ahead. It's going to be interesting. I've, I will all tie this together. It's super, I think it's super interesting. I was blown away yesterday when I was researching this. Cool. All right. So my, um, my sources were the Wikipedia article on the Kentucky Colonels, uh, the Remember the ABA article, an article on sportsteamhistory.com. And then kind of a blog opinion piece on the New York Times by Peter May back from 2012, which was called, excuse me, um, which was called Freaky Friday NBA Style, 
when the, and then blank were the blank. And that I, the reason I said blank and blank is I don't want to give away kind of where I'm going with this. Right. Um, so the Kentucky Colonels founded in 1967, folded in 1976, which uh, if you're dyslexic, will give you a whole bunch of problems. Um, <laughs> they played in Louisville, Kentucky at the Louisville Convention Center and this place called Freedom Hall. Uh, okay. And they were kind of one of the flagship uh, teams of the ABA. They were the only team uh, that basically did not change ownership, did not change locations, wasn't sold. Basically, it didn't change team name. It was basically the same uh-huh. throughout uh, their time in the ABA. Wasn't their uh, logo like a look like Benjamin Franklin <laughs> driving a basketball or something like that? Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. and, uh, I'll get I'll get you I'll get into that in a second. Actually, that's pretty related. So yeah. the reason they were called the Colonels was they were named after what's basically an honorary position uh, or an awarded title given by the state of Kentucky for merit or for charitable organ efforts or for noteworthy accomplishments. Um, it's basically like the Kentucky version of when when England knights somebody like you. We've got like Dame Judi Dench or Sir Patrick Stewart or Sir Pierce Brosnan like. They've been knighted with these honorary titles, although they're not actually real knights. <laughs> right. Same thing. These Kentucky colonels are are called colonels, but they're not actually real colonels in the military or something like that. Oh, so okay. that's what the Kentucky colonels were named after. Um, I'll give you one guess who a very famous Kentucky colonel was. Uh, <laughs> if you think about it just for a second. I can, can you give me a hint? I'll give you a clue. Uh, it's related to a uh, very famous food chain. Oh, uh, Colonial Sanders. Colonel Sanders, yeah. <laughs> Colonial <laughs> Sanders. That's awesome. We're leaving that in. <laughs> it's hard. The word colonel is hard to say. I'm oh, gonna... why would I say colonial? It, it looks like <laughs> colonial, doesn't it? It does. There's no... There's no uh, There's no R. It's the same way the British call, like, lieutenant, lieutenant. Like, how, there's no... You're putting letters in there that aren't in there. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Colonel Sanders, uh, the reason he's called Colonel Sanders of KFC fame was because he is a Kentucky Colonel. Yeah. Uh, so that's basically what the Colonels were named after. Um, it made me think of things that other states might come up with, like if New Hampshire or Vermont had like, like honorary titles for someone, like the mm-hmm. Vermont, Vermont Syrup King or something like that, Maple just, King. Yeah, that wouldn't work. Maybe no. it would, I don't know. It would just be dumb. I'm just, I'm just yeah. having who, who else is in Kentucky has that title? Um, Fred Astaire, I think, was one. Huh. Uh, May West. I, I was looking at all these old, I don't know of current ones, but these are kind of like old examples. I do. Oh, man, I don't think Rick Patino would be a Kentucky Colonel. Maybe he was stripped of it after he had all his problems. Yeah. Yeah, he's not, I'm not sure. He's not listed as Colonel Rick Patino on his Wikipedia. Uh, okay. Maybe <laughs> you have a, to be like born and raised there. I don't think he's from, yeah. isn't he from out east somewhere? I, I don't think you have to be born and raised there. I think you oh. have to be just like contribute to Kentucky. I, I don't really know what the criteria are, but it's an interesting thing to be called. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to the basketball team. Uh, like I said, actually, they were the only team besides the Indiana Pacers to play the entirety of the ABA without changing its name, relocating or folding. Uh, they had these eye-catching, eye-catching green uniforms, and according to Remember the ABA, they were more known for their mascot and their promotions than their basketball early on in their existence, but that changed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. They would win out, go on to win the most games and have the highest winning percentage of any team in the ABA league history. Wow. Like I said, they didn't start that way. They were pretty mediocre, both in the regular season and the playoffs to start off. Uh, their two well-known players at that era were 
Louis Dampier and Daryl Carrier. Dampier, mm-hmm. Dampier was a six-foot-nothing point guard who played uh, for the team the entirety of their existence. And after the ABA folded, he went on to play for the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA. Uh, he averaged about nine points a game uh, in a second from last season in the NBA. So he was pretty good. Carrier was a 6'3 shooting guard who played five seasons in Kentucky and then one for the Memphis Tams of the ABA. He never played in the NBA, but he's a member of the ABA Hall of Fame and holds the nice. highest. Yeah, he, and he holds the highest uh, career three-point shooting percentage in ABA history at 37%. Wow. Yeah, I looked up. I was curious, like, where that compared to the modern NBA. Uh-huh. Uh, Steph Curry's career three-point shooting percentage is 43%. Yeah. Carrier uh, would rank around number 100 in the NBA today in three-point percentage Jeez. right around, yeah, right near Lonzo Ball and Kristaps Porzingis. So, uh I think NBA shooting has become a three point shooting has become kind of an art now. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's quite a stat. Yeah. Um, they also, this is one of their kind of their promotional things they were famous for in 1968. They put the first female pro basketball player on the court. Oh, and this comes from, uh, I remember the ABA. I think I'm going to read directly from an article, uh, the, the girl was named Penny Ann Early. She was the first woman to play in the ABA, or for that matter, any professional basketball league. Wow. In, in 1968, Early created a controversy in the Louisville area by becoming the nation's first licensed woman horse jockey. Mm. In a show of male solidarity, the jockeys at Churchill Downs boycotted all three races that Early entered. Uh, later on, the Kentucky Colonels responded by signing the 110-pound, 5'3", 23-year-old early to a basketball contract, even though she'd never played basketball in her life. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, okay, keep going. It gets better. Colonels coach Gene Rhodes was not amused and protested to management. However, the Colonels owner not only kept early on the roster, but also ordered coach Rhodes to play her in a real game. Jeez. So how did she do? Uh, well, you'll see. November 28th, 1968 against the Los Angeles Stars was the big day, uh, as written in Remember the ABA. Early wore a mini skirt and a turtleneck sweater with the number three on the back to represent the three boycotted races at Churchill Downs. Mm-hmm. She warmed up with Gene Moore, Louis Dampier, Darrell Carrier, and the rest of the Kentucky players. During the game, she sat on the bench with the team. Mm-hmm. Early in the game during a timeout, Coach Early for Early, as they call it, early in the game uh, during a timeout, Coach Rhodes reluctantly followed his orders from above. He sent Penny Ann onto the scorer's table where she checked into the game with the official scorer, Charles Reuter. In the Kentucky backcourt, she took the ball out of bounds and inbounded it to a wide-open teammate, Bobby Rasco. Rasco immediately called a timeout, and the Colonels removed Early from the game to a rousing standing ovation. After the game, she signed hundreds of autographs. She never, and then in quotes, played basketball again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, yeah it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's definitely uh, kind of, I mean, maybe look back insulting. <laughs> but Yeah, but. well, that's quite a story. It sounds like a very impressive woman and brave woman to do yeah. what she did. On her end, yeah, to do what she yeah did. on her end, yes for the for the marketing, but it seems kind of like, I mean, trivial. Back then, it was probably like, oh, hey, look at this. But now it's it it would it would probably be like a little insulting. But she still, I mean, she has it. I think she now is the the first ever first female professional basketball player, which is pretty cool. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I uh, wonder if that uh, she's honored in the Hall of Fame in any way, NBA Hall of Fame or or well, I was going to ask you too. Are ABA players in the NBA Hall of Fame that didn't uh, play in the NBA? Like well, really good ones. 
Well, it's the pro basket. It's kind of like it's the pro basketball hall of fame. So you don't have yeah. to be an NBA player. So I think they, I, I don't know for sure, but I think they probably are. They start getting really good in the early seventies In 1971, they made the ABA final, but lost in the competitive series to the Utah stars in seven games. Uh, after that season, the Colonel signed artist Gilmore, who was a mm-hmm. seven foot one center who basically dominated. Re- remember the ABA said that he made opponents under the basket cringe when he dunked because his dunks were so powerful and they didn't want to get like hit in the head or in the face. One. Holy cow. He, uh, he won the ABA MVP his rookie year over fellow rookie, uh, who played for Virginia, Julius Irving. So Dr. Oh. J. <laughs> Pretty uh, he won it over him, so this Dr. guy must Jay. have been excellent. Yeah. So he, he was, and he figured somewhat in the downfall of the team as well. Not his fault. Okay. He was yeah. just so good that uh, we'll we'll talk about that. Sure. Um, with with Gilmore, they dominated in the regular season during the next few years, but couldn't muster much playoff success again after that Game Seven trip to the finals. Uh, until 1973, when they made the ABA Finals again and lost to the Indiana Pacers in seven games. So, uh, tough luck early on in the, uh, in the, in the Colonel's franchise, even though they were really good. Right. In 1973, the team was almost sold to a group from another city. Uh, but Ellie and John Y. Brown bought the team and Ellie Brown established an entire female board of directors for the team, which had to have been a first in basketball. So, sure. uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, if you're wondering who Ellie and John Y. Brown are, you'll find out very soon uh, their impact that they had because it was huge, uh, sometimes in a positive way, sometimes in a negative way. John Y. Brown earned his money uh, also as part of KFC. He was an early, I think, investor in KFC and sold, mm-hmm. sold his shares of KFC for a ton of money. So he, that's where his, his money came from uh, and how he bought the team. So with them as owners, the Colonels finally won an ABA championship in 1975, besting the Indiana Pacers in five games uh, and clinching the title at home in front of a raucous crowd. But unfortunately, as you might uh, be realizing, that was 1975, one year before the team folded. Mm -hmm. The next season... The team sold off one of its stars, Dan, I don't know how to pronounce this, Dan Issel or Dan Issel. Oh, Dan Issel, yeah. He played for the Denver Nuggets. He's a legend. Okay. Denver. Well, there you I, go. <laughs> I played against his son in baseball a couple times. Really? Yeah. Well, there's a personal connection for the Lost Teams podcast right there. I hadn't yeah. He was also a legend. I think I might have beamed him, actually. <laughs> yes. If I'm, my mind is serving me correctly, it could have been someone else, but I, I remember playing against him a couple times in his – his dad was at the game. That reminds me of a story when I was basically in Little League. We, um, or we had like a family accountant, super nice guy. Uh, yeah. his, uh, he, his son was a year below me, and I accidentally beamed him in, during Little League as well. So sorry <laughs> about that. Uh, uh, so Dan, Dan, how is it pronounced again? Dan Issel. So Dan, he was. He's also been a coach for the Nuggets like years ago, and he's always been involved in the franchise somehow i'm not sure what he does now but gotcha well he was a legend with the colonels way back when mm-hmm. uh and was traded to baltimore um without Issel, but with gilmore and, and some of the other players they made the playoffs but lost in their final game too ah interesting coming full circle the denver nuggets yep <laughs> so so uh even though Issel apparently was playing for baltimore at that point gotcha so well, that was when the ABA basically was like, we're done. We can't function anymore. So 
the NBA agreed to absorb its teams, but they only agreed to absorb four. And there were six teams uh, in the ABA at that point. Mm. So, so the NBA added the Denver Nuggets, San Antonio Spurs, New York Nets, and the Indiana Pacers. Kentucky, as, lo- as well as I believe a team called the Spirit of St. Louis, uh, were not absorbed. We're going to get into the Spirit of St. Louis in a future episode because they have a very interesting story, kind of that similar to the Colonels that happened after the end of the ABA that rippled kind of in, <laughs> in NBA history for a while. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to stick to the Colonels in this one. Um, so another reason, and I couldn't find confirmation on this, but I think this is a rumor uh, from a book called, uh, not a rumor, but this is reported in a book called Loose Balls by Terry Pluto, mm-hmm. that the owner or one of the executives of uh, the Chicago Bulls, who was in the NBA at the time, who you'll recognize if you're a hockey or basketball fan, Bill Wirtz, uh, did not, I guess, voted against Kentucky being added to the NBA because he wanted their star center artist Gilmore. So he figured the only way he was going to get Gilmore was if the Colonels had to dissolve and Gilmore could be taken in the dispersal draft. Really, really quick. You mentioned Wirtz. Is that Chicago Blackhawks? Yeah. Yeah. He also, he was also the owner of the Blackhawks. Sure. Um, So uh, that was one of the many reasons that the Colonels didn't get into the NBA. Also, they were from a small city, Louisville. They were having trouble selling seats at the end of their existence. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the NBA owners didn't see uh, that the Colonels being able to make money as an NBA team, even though they were competitive. Yeah. So, uh, and same thing with the owner. I think it would have cost him money versus getting $3 million, which is what he got from the buyout. So mm-hmm. uh, John Y. Brown Jr., they emphasize in all the articles, you have to call him John Y. Brown. Uh, mm-hmm. He took his buyout money. And this is where we start to get into the, uh, what I mentioned at the beginning. Um, he took his buyout money and, oh, uh, another thing, Artis Gilmore was uh, drafted number one in the dispersal of that draft by the Bulls. So Makes sense. <laughs> Wirtz got his way, um, yeah. but fortunately for, uh, or unfortunately for him, Gilmore played for the Bulls for the next season and part of one more season at the end of his career and the Bills, the, the, excuse me, the Bulls only made the playoffs twice in that time. So fuck you, Bill Wirtz. <laughs> yeah, they were terrible. That, that would have been right before... Jordan's right Jordan, yeah. So yeah. I think Gilmore played with Jordan in his final season. Oh, cool. But um, in 87, 88, but it mm-hmm. was right before the Jordan era, yeah. If, uh, if, if anyone's watched The Last Dance out there, yeah, Michael talked a bit about uh, his experience with early the early Bulls teams, and yeah. it sounded like a shit show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wirtz, I don't think Wirtz is very popular in Chicago. Because Well, you know why? One of the reasons? Because he tied the I Blackhawks. Think that, What's that? He tanked the Blackhawks. Well, and then also there was a lot of things. Like I think they didn't have like local games on TV for a while Mm -hmm. in Chicago. Like something really strange like that. And I don't know. I think that's was he wasn't very popular, as he said. (laughs) Yeah. So um, he was not popular. Neither was John Y. Brown after his time with the uh, uh, owning the Kentucky Colonels, because this is what he did. After, the, uh, after he got his $3 million buyout from the ABA, he used the money to buy the NBA's Buffalo Braves, which were, uh, like you can probably tell, an NBA team in Buffalo. And mm-hmm. we've talked about the early NBA, and, and really Jordan was when the NBA and, and David Stern helped the NBA go like this global brand that's so popular now. Back then, even this was 1975 or 76, uh, the NBA was not the household league it is today. So, I mean, right. of, the, of the four, I think it was probably the least, um, we'll call it, 
Really, you think it was I less think, popular than hockey? I don't know if less popular, but less uh, less of an institution, we'll call it. Like, yeah, because the, yeah, the NHL's history was, was pretty deep at that point. Yeah, I mean, like we discussed in previous episodes, the NHL basically founded the NBA. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, so this is according to Wikipedia. Uh, I had to look this up in their sources. The uh, Brown had a plan. His mm-hmm. plan was to basically tank the Buffalo Braves. So he sold off all the team's stars. He drove attendance down uh, so he could break the lease to the arena in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he did something which is completely crazy looking back on. But uh, And part of this whole mind blow. I'm going to say my mind is blown a bunch of times because it really, I still can't get over this. Mm-hmm. He and Boston Celtics owner Irv Levin. Irv Levin was a, like a Hollywood producer. He was from Los Angeles. Um, they agreed to something insane. Irv Levin wanted to move. He wanted to own a professional basketball team in Southern California, but he knew the NBA would never let him move the Boston Celtics because they are already winners of 13 titles at that point. They were uh, basically the, the, the best team in the NBA and mm-hmm. with the best history. So uh, Irv Levin and John Y. Brown essentially traded each other their entire teams. Jeez. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, and this part is where it gets kind of confusing. I found this traded their entire team's part from uh, an article, a, a, basically a blog post written by a guy who doesn't seem to have the best grasp of English uh, called The Day the Celtics Lost 13 Rings. Uh, Alejandro Gaitan um, mm-hmm. is the author. But I, I backed it. I looked it up. There's a bunch of articles. New York Times had a, had a blog post about it, ESPN. Um, so this did really happen. It's just maybe the finer details are, are harder to, to figure out. But right. from my understanding, John Y. Brown traded basically the entire Buffalo Braves team to the Boston Celtics, including, <laughs> including like the name uh, 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 or the whole, basically the whole roster of the Buffalo Braves to Irv Levin. Irv Levin then traded the whole roster of the Boston Celtics to John Y. Brown. Uh, so the business entity that owned the Celtics now basically owned the players from the Braves with the Braves name. He then moved. Sounds confusing. Yeah. Complicated. (laughs) He then, he then moved the Buffalo Braves um, by name uh, Mm -hmm. to San Diego to become the San Diego Clippers. The San Diego Clippers then eventually became the Los Angeles Clippers, and he's uh, Levin sold the team to Donald Sterling, and then we all know what happened with Sterling. Uh, yeah. So that's what happened with the Clippers. Uh, the Celtics, John Y. Brown uh, owned now owned the Celtics team, the Celtics roster, the Celtics name. They still played in Boston, but the legal entity that owned and the business entity that owned. The Celtics was technically the one that owned the Buffalo Braves. So like, that's what I was getting to in the beginning. So this, mm-hmm. this ownership group, like let's say the Nordiques and the Avalanche, the ownership group, I believe didn't change. No, sorry. This is for, ignore that part. The, mm-hmm. the Lakers and the, the Minneapolis Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers, the ownership group was still the same. Mm-hmm. He moved the team. Uh, so the business entity kind of carried through from LA, from Minnesota to LA, which is kind of why you say like, well, they, they, have all these titles that they won in Minnesota and this history, but the business entity that owned the Boston Celtics uh, then owned the went on to own the Buffalo Braves and moved them to San Diego. Mm-hmm. So 
and vice versa with the, with the Braves. And so the way I, what I'm trying to say is that basically the Buffalo Braves became the Boston Celtics and that's where this whole ring thing came in. So yeah, uh, if you, it, by technicality, if you, if you actually enforce like the law and the way things were done, the Los Angeles Clippers would have 13 NBA titles, essentially all the titles that the Boston Celtics won before 1978 when uh-huh. this whole trade clusterfuck went down. Uh, and the now Boston Celtics technically would only be winners of three, the three that they've won since 1978. Wow. So yeah. let me get this straight. Let me just make a comparison to what I think you're trying to say. Yes. It's confusing, man. It so is. like I said early on, I, I grew up in Winnipeg and Denver and fans of both teams, the Jets and the Avalanche. So basically let's say the, the Nordiques and Jets won Stanley Cups and their history isn't transferring to the yeah. new cities. So it doesn't transfer. So, okay. I see what you're saying. <laughs> so, so it, it didn't. Yeah. Did, so, so, and so here's the part. So the NBA still wreck, they don't follow this like technical by the book thing. The NBA yeah. is still the Boston Celtics history from before 1978 is connected to the Boston Celtics history. Now they are winners of 17 NBA titles they get credit for that. Um, but the, even a member of the NBA at the time <laughs> is uh, kind of admitted uh, somebody in the front office. So this is a, a guy named Russ Granick, who uh-huh. was for, the former deputy commissioner of the NBA. And he's quoted in, a, in an article, um, this New York Times blog article. He says, my understanding, as best I can remember, is that the current Celtics team successor to the, uh, the current Celtics is a Blech, let me start that again. My, under, my understanding, as best as I can remember, is that the current Celtics team is a successor to the Buffalo Braves, Russ Granick, former deputy commissioner of the NBA, said in a telephone call. Yeah. He was the NBA's assistant general counsel in 1978. And so they go on to say, and that would mean the current Clippers team is a successor to the Boston Celtics. Yes, in a strictly <laughs> legal sense. So I guess as simple as we can get it, like that's the simplest way to say it. Like, right. Uh, with that crazy weird trade complicated stuff that happened uh that's that's what happened so obviously now they don't credit the clippers with 13 nba titles that those yeah. the celtics but it could be if they really wanted to like do it by the letter of the law the clippers could be 13 time nba champions <laughs> yeah like I, I don't know as i explained you know my story with like franchises moving um I, I don't know how I feel about that. Would, would well, if Winnipeg won a bunch of cups, would I want the Coyotes to have the, all their banners up? I don't think so. I I, th- I agree with you. Then that was kind of the thing when I was researching this too. I was looking at teams uh, that had moved and mostly in the NBA and the NHL to see if they had retired players' numbers and and had the championship banners. And that's kind of a I think that's kind of a line that that teams are hesitant to cross. So the Lakers and their rafters haven't retired the numbers of guys like George Mike and, 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 and uh, all like famous hall of fame, Minneapolis, Minneapolis Lakers. Players. Right. You can still, a, a player can still come along and wear 99, which is George Mikan's number. I think, I think theoretically, but mm-hmm. they are all honored in the rat. They all have the, there's basically a banner with their names uh, yeah. in the, in Minneapolis Lakers colors uh, up in the rafters of Staples center. So yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's they are acknowledging the history and their and their connected history, but they're not they're not willing to I think retire the numbers, but they're willing mm-hmm. to put a 
fucking Taylor Swift banner up there. I think they took that down. <laughs> Number one fan? Or yeah. What is it? No, most sellouts. Most sellouts. Yeah. That, I always found that so weird. I was like, why is there a t- Taylor Swift banner next went, to uh, Wayne Gretzky's jersey or something? <laughs> I, w- I think they took that down after pressure from fans, but I, uh, or maybe they take it down before certain games, but I went gotcha. to one of those, I took Jamie to one of those concerts. So I am a part oh, of that boy. championship. I am a yeah. <laughs> part of the Taylor Swift sellout title. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, and uh, I think that's where teams are kind of hesitant. I looked up the uh, the Supersonics or the the Oklahoma City Thunder haven't retired any of the Sonics numbers, mm-hmm. as far as I could tell. They and I think reading message boards and stuff that Sonics fans and people in Seattle are sensitive to that. They're like, no, you don't take our like you can't take our team and our players. <laughs> yeah, no, it's weird. It's like like I said, or I keep referring back to those two teams, but I remember when the avalanche or the Nordiques moved to Colorado and they had made that big trade for, they had Lindros and trade and mm-hmm. the trade basically won the abs of the Stanley cup, right? All the players yeah. they got back, they got like Forsberg, Mike Ricci, the list goes on and on. Yeah. But uh, I remember like feeling bad, that, you know, yeah, like oh, the, the, the Nordiques lost all their players and you know, that could have been Nordiques cup, you know, but yeah. Um, it's, it's very complicated and this is, this is which, and I'm sure a lot of basketball nerds know about this. Yeah. Uh, it's, I had no idea though, not being a, a big into huge into basketball. It like, it, I was like freaking out when I read this. It's just so interesting. Yeah. And, the, and, and it goes back to something we've like discussed a lot before. It's where the league was at the time. This would never be allowed today. Like there is no way think of some crap NBA franchise that shouldn't be there. Like the, uh we'll go with the memphis grizzlies like yeah. <laughs> there's no way that like the memphis grizzlies owner and the boston celtics owner wick grosbeck would be like here let's trade let's trade our, our entire rosters and then we'll trade team names and then you can go ahead and move the memphis Gri- grizzlies to wherever and, and i'll and uh or i'll go ahead and move the memphis grizzlies to wherever and then you can keep the boston celtics in boston like that would never happen well the league wouldn't allow it yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. um and there's too much involved. You can't just trade two team rosters. There's too much money and discrepancy right. and value of franchises and all that. Like, uh, but the craziest thing about this is that I'm pretty sure both of them made money. Uh, yeah. Irv Levin sold the Clippers to Donald Sterling for like $13 million. And I don't know how much he paid for it. I'm guessing he didn't pay more than $13 million. I'm guessing he didn't even pay close to $13 million No chance. To acquire the Buffalo Braves way back or the, the Boston Celtics way back then. Like, right. And uh, uh, Brown used the $3 million buyout to buy the Braves. And he uh, basically fell out of favor pretty quickly in Boston because he pissed off Red Auerbach. Uh, The team was terrible. Uh, The team became awful. He made all these horrible trades. And Auerbach, I think, was threatening to leave to go to the Knicks. And um, I think Brown realized the value of his franchise would just disappear and then he'd be left holding the bag so mm-hmm. he sold the franchise to uh i think his business partner henry harry mangurian uh, right before and then at, right after he sold it the celtics won another title um so it was uh it's kind of an interesting history that that brown this guy involved with the kentucky colonels <laughs> made yeah. so many ripples in, in nba history and that he, I mean, he is hated, I think, in, in Boston. I mean, I don't know if many people know who he is anymore, but mm-hmm. back that generation, the previous generation, hated him. I'm sure. 
and uh, I almost caught you. Uh, you you stumbled there. I thought you were going to say colonials like I did. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say. It's like you can't. You get. It's a word that's easier to say if you're not reading it. Like colonel. I'm not looking at it. I can say colonel. colonel yeah, Sanders. that's where I was. <laughs> but then you look at the letters and you're like, yeah. damn it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's the Kentucky Colonels and the uh, the long story of. John Y. Brown and uh, his effect on the NBA and and the ABA and just the crazy stuff that went on. Yeah, very crazy. It's it's amazing how these older leagues that were competing, like the WHA competing with the NHL or the ABA competing with the NBA, just how much influence they ended up having on the the two leagues that survived. You know. Yeah. Oh, one more crazy thing about this. Yeah. So when they switched the two teams, mm-hmm. they did it right after the Boston Celtics drafted Larry, right at, yeah, right after they drafted Larry Bird. So technically Larry Bird was a member of the Los Angeles Clippers very briefly. This <laughs> is all too confusing for me. You yeah. Just threw- <laughs> so yeah, so so the before the two owners of the Brown and Levin traded yeah. their whole teams. And so Levin was still the owner of the Celtics and Auerbach was was he continued the G, G the B. Yeah, yeah. They drafted Larry Bird. Okay. Then, and so the rights of Larry Bird and everything. So then when they traded the teams, uh, briefly, the because they couldn't they couldn't switch right away. They traded the two teams and then they trade then they swapped franchises. So mm. briefly, Larry Bird was a member of the Buffalo Braves, who then became the Los Angeles Clip, the San Diego Clippers, and then became the LA Clippers. So he was briefly a part of this Clippers Braves franchise mm. that uh, and the owner Levin had said, like, looking back on it, I wish I had not traded him back to the Celtics. Like, yeah, no I wish I had just been like, you guys can. All right, now you have the whole franchise, but I'm keeping. I'm keeping Larry Bird, but that didn't. Yeah. Apply. So, uh, it's just. And if what you want to, <laughs> yeah. And if I confused, as I'm sure I'm confused, almost everybody who's listening by now, just Google Celtics, Buffalo Braves, uh, John Brown, and you'll you'll be able to read the story like I did and try to like figure it out because it, it's it's much easier to read and understand than it is to like re regurgitate and explain to people <laughs> yeah this this episode has been complete confusion <laughs> but fun, i'm kidding i'm kidding but amazing story though i feel like i just did a presentation in front of like my class in high school and i'm like yeah i i i just i just kicked ass i did so good and then the like straight out of Billy Madison, like at no point in your rambling, incoherent answer did you approach anything close to the like anything close to the correct answer. Well, I threw have... some, I threw some stuff in there that was confusing. So <laughs> I, 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 it was just all in all, what is, <laughs> some confusion. But whatever. I might, I might put that clip in just as a, as a, at the end, like. From yeah. The... No. Great. Great story. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that'll do it for this episode of the Lost Teams podcast. Uh, Andrew, what, what do you have going on? Where can everyone find you, and and what have you been working on lately? Um, I'm at, on Twitter at a w l e n n. That's a w l e n, and um, you can see some of my writing work on votoballer.com, which is a fantasy sports website. Awesome, and you can find me at Delhi Tweets on Twitter. That's D E L L I T W E E T S. As always, please give us feedback. Uh, please feel free to rate our podcast uh, five stars if you can. But if you listen to this episode and you have an ice cream headache, uh, you can rate it like three or four stars. But please, please, please no rate twos. it five stars. No twos. 
don't go below twos. Uh, you can also find uh, me co-hosting on occasion on the Totally Offsides podcast. And if you read the Daily Pilot, you might have read some of my high school sports recaps lately. But uh, that's it. All right. Well, it's been a fun episode. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, everyone. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Thank you.